Welcome to SkyCast episode 24, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 10, The Warrior's Will. So I apologize about my voice. Um, <laughs> I went to see Moulin Rouge um, preview in Boston this weekend and I screamed for like three hours straight. So no, and I also think I'm getting a cold, but most of this is because I was like a massive fangirl and it was amazing. But moving forward, how did we feel about this episode, Sarah McCabe? <laughs> meh. Yeah. I feel kind of meh about this episode, honestly. Yeah. I I feel like every other episode this season has kind of been like a weird filler episode. This one felt very fillery to mm-hmm. me. Like, I don't feel a lot of... I don't know about you, but I don't feel like a lot of character development happened here. Yeah, this is... To me, this is kind of where... I noticed this season. I think the first half of the season for me felt pretty strong. And then this is right when I'm starting to realize that the second half of the season has not been that strong. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the characters are really moving anywhere. I have a lot of complaints about what we know about Octavia, like what the story has revealed, um, especially going into this episode, because I think it would have been so much more powerful had we more context on what she faced in the bunker. Yeah, and the motivations behind why she wants to escape the bunker so badly. Um, We can touch on that a little bit later on, but I have to agree with you that I didn't think this was a bad episode. I just don't have any strong feelings about it, and I was underwhelmed um, throughout most of it. We got another amazing email this week. Uh, this one from Alex at skycastcrew at gmail.com. Alex wrote in with a lot of great theories about Bill Cadigan. So we're going to wait and save some of her insights until we get to that section later. But just wanted to give her a quick shout out at the beginning because it was a really great email. Yeah, especially because it was about Bill Cadigan. You know me. You know me, Alex. Yeah, she was basically <laughs> like fan servicing Sarah. And I was like, okay, I'll just sit back here. That's fine. Um, it was okay because I was away as usual. <laughs> because I'm never home. Uh, One more thing before we get started. As always, we'd like to remind you and implore you to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us. So thank you, thank you. Go do that. And with that, we will jump right into the recap. All right. Clark stops the rover in the middle of the desert. Maddie's sleeping, and Clark tries to look at the place where the flame was inserted into Maddie's neck, but Maddie wakes up with a start and jumps out of the car. Maddie says she's going back, but Clark won't let her. Maddie tells Clark that if she wants to take out the flame, she'll have to kill her. After all, Clark is willing to kill Bellamy, Indra, and Gaia. Why not Maddie? This scene was actually really satisfying to me, just the way that Clark is in her full mama bear mode. And I love the way that the writers give her and Maddie this dialogue throughout the episode I just think it's really organic and very natural like I loved that line where she was like it's a good thing you're not the commander then like that's such a mom thing to say there were so many lines in this episode that I swear I've heard my mother say before like I swear to god my mom has said to me I sound like a teenage boy I'm really sorry guys I keep cracking but I just felt the way that they wrote her and the way that that uh Liza Taylor acts this episode is really mom worthy like she feels like a mom and I liked it I agree um there were definitely a lot of mixed feelings about this scene in particular online it was released um this is one of the ones that was released early a lot of people were upset that Clark was kind of manhandling Maddie um what are your thoughts on that well I'm never going to condone physicality against a child like 
But with that said, I don't see this as, I mean, like that's sort of like on par with the comments from last episode about um, Bellamy and how she was like assaulting him with that slap, which Mm -hmm. I guess she was, but not in a like, we talked about this. Yeah. Um, I I see this. Not in an abusive kind of way. Um, And I feel like Clark is just desperate to grab her. I mean, like Maddie is escaping. Like, yeah, not a lot. <laughs> she's, she's escaping. <laughs> she, she's escaping. I kind of view this as like if your child starts to run out into the street, you yeah. you grab them. Right, exactly. It's the same <laughs> as like when you're in the car and your mom slams on the brakes and she mom arms you like into your chest. Like if it effing hurts. Like that is not gentle. <laughs> when I got lost at SeaWorld when I was like five. Oh my god, this was the scariest I've ever seen my mom. When I got lost at SeaWorld when I was five, um, I lost my mom for like. I don't know, six minutes, if I'm being really generous. It was probably less. It was probably more like three minutes. And I couldn't find her, and I was hysterically crying. And she grabbed onto my wrist so hard, I thought she broke it. Like, she just – I was, like, crying to this random group of strangers, and all of a sudden I just had this steel trap, like, (laughs) on my my arm, my forearm. And I I just, like, feel like I still have that bruise, like, (laughs) underneath in my bones but my mom was just scared like she didn't want to hurt me she was just terrified and I think that's exactly the same thing that happened here so I don't see anything like more than that yeah I agree I just wanted to kind of bring that up yeah, and see no, where I, we stood I, there I, I, it's always good to talk about what's going on online with the fandom <laughs> it's always a lot some stuff with the fandom um, I also think that Maddie's pretty much my hero this episode because she just constantly brings up Bellamy and how about how, how Clark left him to die and just like rubs it in over and over again. And oh, yeah. it's very satisfying. Thank satisfying. you, Maddie. She's just so mad at her. <laughs> yeah. So Maddie needs to go back because commanders don't run away. But Clark says it's a good thing Maddie isn't a commander. They fight more and Clark tells her she's acting like a child. Maddie knows that Octavia won't run away and because of Clark, Octavia will get her war. And at that, Clark reveals that she's going to tell Dioza that the eye is down and tell Octavia that Dioza knows. And after that, Octavia can either decide not to march or march and be destroyed. When Clark opens the rover, she finds the worm eggs, which she throws out into the desert. So how do we think the flame is affecting Maddie at this point? Um, Clark says it's supposed to make you wise, but do we really think that's true? Like, what do we think the flame is really supposed to do to someone? Because, you know, Maddie is very much all of a sudden like, you know, commanders don't run away. I have to stop this. I have to face this. Is this Maddie or is this the flame? I think it's a couple of things. The First of all, we've seen Maddie act very impetuously. Um, and almost selfishly this entire season, you know, where Clark tells her not to do something and then she just does it. And I'm not saying that that's, I mean, like, that's very much in, in on par and in character for a child of Maddie's age. But I feel like there is this layer of altruism in th- within Maddie that she's displaying now mm-hmm. that was not present before that I think we can maybe attribute to the flame. But I also think it's kind of that I, it's kind of like a placebo effect where you think you're supposed to be something. And so then you start becoming it like a chicken in the egg where Maddie knows that she has this like legacy and heritage to live up to. And so she should start behaving that way. And I'm not sure if that's something that's coming like with, from inside of herself or is being imposed on her by the flame. But I also think that like wisdom is not something you can buy. Mm -hmm. Like just because someone tells you, an experience they have like even if she has like 14 commanders talking to her inside of her head 
that doesn't make Maddie that, that's not like that doesn't force her to make the right decision she still has to choose for herself yeah. what to do and so again wisdom can't be bought you still have to make those decisions yourself so I I think I think it's both I agree that it's both I also do think that you know Clark raised Maddie on stories of these heroes and these heroes that did everything they could to save their people and I think Maddie's really taken that to heart and now she feels like she has the power to also do the same in the way that she didn't really have the power before mm-hmm. not like the want I think she always had the want but right. never really the power yeah and so means. yeah give, given that kind of power I feel like that's made her like in some way like a placebo effect of like I can do this right um even though I'm, I'm not sure that's true I mean I'm not sure that's not true right but she's also you know 12 so exactly I, I mean like some of this I'm like I'm with Clark <laughs> I'm I'm with both of them I really do see both sides yeah, no, here I, I do too I think Maddie is adorable but I'm like Clark in that I'm like no absolutely <laughs> effing not um I don't know about you but the fact that Clark threw these worms into their natural habitat seems like the dumbest idea of all time and I expect better from Clark I don't know what she was thinking. It does. I mean, like, I'm trying to... They've built up these worms so much this season that I have a hard time believing that they're just going to go away. Um, but that said, I don't know if there's time for them in the rest of the season. Like, either. it seems dumb. and They, like, zoomed in on them. But I guess it is their natural habitat. Like, it is where they were from anyway. It's where they were born. It's where they were born. Well, not, not necessarily. Really. <laughs> but it's where their ancestors were born. Yeah, um, they turned to the land of their yeah. ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> um, Another biblical reference. But I will say, if this is the last we see of the worms, it's like a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I agree. Again, this show has done many things. Actually, twice this episode, we see the show being like, okay, we're going to like do something, and then they end up not doing it. So like here with the worms, and then also we see it later in the arena where no one dies. Right, um, right. So I just, I don't know, like it feels a little anticlimactic and not right for the show that is never anticlimactic. You know what well, I mean? I mean, it's not like we didn't get our money's worth with the worms because the, there have been a lot of alien predator like shots of worms <laughs> coming out of people's bodies. But like as far as like the the resolution to this to this uh, aspect of this season, it, it is a letdown. It's just not quite satisfying. It doesn't feel over yet. And it do- it is weird to me that she like lets the eggs loose right like, like why did you have to like the scatter them across the ground just like pick them up place them there gently keep them in their little let them eat each boxes. other until they're dead yeah. <laughs> it's just it was just weird Moving the whole thing on. was weird mm-hmm. <laughs> uh in the valley mccreary is tearing apart the med clinic looking for abby's meds when he finds dioza's bat- or book of battle strategies abby isn't looking so good but neither is mccreary McCreary says she'll get her fix as soon as she fixes him, but Abby refuses. McCreary then contemplates killing her, but he backs off. Instead, he proposes a contest. His disease against hers. McCreary thinks Abby will break before he dies. Um, so before really getting into too much here, I wanted to bring up uh, Dioza's book. Um, and we see in like one screenshot in particular when uh, McCreary is like flipping through it that Dioza has this page where she's kind of detailed her plan um, I think she calls it like the Damocles plan or something yeah. like that or the weapon of Damocles. It was basically her plan uh, to go back to Earth and force the people on Earth to let her and the other prisoners just like be free. Yeah. Um, which it seemed a little naive, but I guess like what 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 could you do? You know, she did have missiles. 
um, or whatever she had weapons. Um, but I'm pretty sure at this point, the fact that they're showing us this means that this weapon is going to come into play. And we knew she had big weapons from like episode three when the captain on that video was like, you can't let her weaponize our cargo. Right. Um, so I'm assuming that's still going to happen. They're right. going to weaponize the I cargo. Mean, it's a really, really giant Chekhov's gun. Yeah, this is this is probably how Eden will be destroyed, I would assume. I would assume that as well. Um, I, I could see McCreary doing it as like a, he lost, but he still wants them to suffer. Like, if I can't have Eden, no one can. Yeah, that does <laughs> seem like the kind of thing an egotistical maniac would do. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll t- we should talk more about Damocles in the actual two-part finale, which is called Damocles. Yeah, we'll get um, into because all Because there that. is, like, you know, the whole legend behind it, and we yes, want to talk yes, about what that means. Let's but wait we'll save it. Future episodes. <laughs> we don't have time to do that right now. I did want to comment. Um, I loved Abby Zinger um, to McCreary that carrying his child is nothing to brag about. I just, <laughs> like, that was absolutely delightful, and I loved it. Um, and I also really liked this comparison between McCreary's disease and Abby's, it, which made addiction and actual mental illness and it doesn't reduce it to just being the choice of an addict but an actual disease that like should be diagnosed and treated just as seriously as any other physical illness um I really appreciated that equal equalization of those two things and putting them on equal footing um yeah I thought it was a really nice touch yeah I feel like this season has done a good job at showing us at least in my opinion, it's done a good job of showing us the complexity that is addiction and and the not just like the moral complexity, but like the fight within yeah, the, the addicted person about, you know, hurting other people they love or getting their fix. Right. I think so, too. There's been a lot of chatter online uh, about how badly they've done this and what an ill service it is to Abby's character. But I, I strongly disagree Um and I, I feel like they've done a really good job at this representation. I've never been addicted to anything, so I can't talk talk from personal experience. But if anyone out there wants to share or give their thoughts on this, I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say because mm-hmm. I think they do a really good job. Yeah. Miller reveals to Octavia that half of their people won't march. He tries to hide it, but Burrell makes him come clean to the fact that there's a supposed commander out there that has split their forces. Octavia thinks this is more than just a complication, but but Miller reminds her that even at half strength, they outnumbered Dios' army. They don't have the worms, but with the element of surprise, they can win this war, and then the rest of one crew will follow. So I'm a little confused here about them kind of deciding to march even without the worms because like did they forget that Allegius has missiles um I mean I guess they're saying like oh we could like sneak up on them but that just seems well I also am like don't aren't they worried that Clark is gonna tell them well that too about yeah I and this guy like wouldn't that be part of like the first thing she does to like defuse the war essentially like I don't understand what they're plan of sneak attack is can't sneak attack if there's an eye in the sky i mean very little about this war has ever been a good idea but (laughs) it just i don't know it doesn't quite make sense to me agreed i have to agree and again i i really enjoyed brell's presence here like i don't really like her as a person but i like that she is an antagonist for miller and anyone who irritates him is a winner in my book so she can stay it's such a bummer he's become this this season because 
I really liked Miller, and I really liked Miller too. I he's just, an asshole. I now, can't and I'm stand him ever on the screen anymore this yeah. season. <laughs> he just pisses me off, and I don't want to feel this way. No. <laughs> um. I, I think it's interesting, though, that Miller was afraid to tell Octavia the truth about why her people won't march. Um, and I was trying to figure out, is this like a he's afraid of her, like she's a tyrant, he's worried about what she'll do if she finds out kind of thing? Or is it like he doesn't want to hurt her or like disrespect her with the um, information that half of her people have turned against her? Like, what do you think it is? Because- I think it's both. And I think um, like the metaphor or the symbolism of her being the Red Queen and the idea of, like, off with their heads when she gets information she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. You know, like, killing the messenger. Like, I just think Miller doesn't want to be the messenger because he's afraid of her lashing out and being unreasonable. I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen her... I mean, we've definitely seen her be unreasonable, but we haven't really seen her lashing out like that no. against people who don't... I mean, I don't want to say deserve it because I don't know if anyone's, like, deserved it. I'm not. I'm not quite sure... Um, what crimes a lot of people have committed, but but I feel like she's very even keeled when it comes to like justice. Yeah, but I'm not giving Miller the credit to like understand her on that deep of a level. I feel like he brings a lot of. He, I think he's really kind of self-absorbed at this point, and I don't know. You think Miller self-absorbed? I just he's just so annoying. I think he's like really like puffed himself up. And, like, self-important in his own eyes as, like, far as his importance to Octavia. And I just, like, I don't know. He's I've, so irritating to me. I, I wouldn't stand him. say I see him as self-important. I see him as blindly loyal in a strange way. I think we mentioned this last episode. But if I would have seen why he was this loyal, maybe I would feel differently about him. But. Yeah. I don't think that we're going to see. I think we're just supposed to take it at face yeah, value that he is that loyal. Is the way it is. Um, that, you know, he's just like, oh, Octavia saved us. Like, she's my queen or whatever. Um, and I just have a hard time swallowing that when the thing she's doing just seems so counterintuitive to, like, what you'd want to do to survive in this yeah, world. Well, to protect the, your people. I don't know. So I just, I feel, I feel... I, 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 I have a hard time deciding how I feel about Miller because I have a hard time splitting up my annoyance at him with, like, his actual um, motivations. I, I can't, like, separate out what, you know, he's wanting to do without, you know, my frustration getting in the way. Same. Same. I have a really hard time analyzing what he's doing because, first of all, I don't want to look that hard. <laughs> and second of all... I just like I just don't think they've done a good job developing him. So there's really not that much to unpack when it comes to character motivation because they haven't given us anything either. Yeah, that's fair. There's a lot of characters this season that I think now that I'm on episode yeah. ten, I realized that they did not really get a lot of uh, of character moments. No, <laughs> they've a lot of people have been underserved. We will definitely talk about that in the finale once we have like a full view of the season. Full um, but let's table that for now. I also just wanted to mention that um, Octavia is accepting Brell as an advisor, even though Brell is very clearly uh, for Maddie being the commander, and that's kind of fascinating to me because we we haven't seen this season um, Octavia being willing to listen to 
opponents yeah. in, in certain ways. Um, you know, with Cooper especially, Cooper was just kind of like regurgitating what Bellamy or what uh, Octavia seemed to want to hear. So I I thought it was like a step in a, the right direction to have Brel here, like clearly as an opponent to Octavia and Octavia knowing this, but still kind of allowing her to like say her piece. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, so Brel disagrees. She wants Octavia to either unite them behind a real commander or remind them or remind those who refuse to march what happens to one crew's enemies. Miller thinks that Brel is advising Octavia to kill everyone who doesn't march, but Octavia realizes that Brel means for her to put Gaia, Indra, and Bellamy in the fighting pits to show people what would happen to them if they don't march. Um, so this is, <laughs> after we're done bashing Miller, I have to say that I, I kind of weirdly... I don't know if I agree with Miller, but I see where he's coming from because Maddie is a preteen and Octavia has kept them alive for six years, um, even though she's lost it a little bit at this point. I still can't say that Maddie would necessarily be any better because she's a child. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I do I do think it's nice that Miller is so loyal, even though I don't understand how he, he came that way. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like if I were Octavia, I'd be a little pissed. And I suffered and sweated and t- toiled to keep them alive. And then at like the first sniff of a commander in their old religion, they just abandon you. I'd be furious. Yeah, I mean, she never wanted to become this. And yet she had to bear the burden because she was the leader. And now she is who yeah. she is and people are turning on her. It and sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Um, I also, I guess I didn't realize that the fighting pits uh, were just an option at the end of last episode i kind of assumed that yeah, i did too they were like r- like heading right for the I fighting pits that was right like then why she was crying because she was like oh they're going into the fighting yeah. pits and i'm gonna lose two of them it, so i i don't know it just kind of felt like a weird jumping point in this episode to be like we didn't even see the fighting pits until the last i don't know 10 minutes of the episode um and it just kind of felt like slow going to get there right. when we I, knew that's where we were heading towards i thought that the fight we were going to open in the fighting pit i did too and then we were going to move forward from there and i feel like if we had then the pacing of this episode would have been so much more yeah. exciting and dynamic i felt like this episode dragged a lot and a lot of it is because you say they pushed the climax which is the fighting pits all the way to the end of the episode and that left a lot of room to drag mm-hmm. um so not a fan of the pacing Especially because right after the uh, trailer came out, basically all of it was about the fighting pits. Mm -hmm. So I think we kind of all knew that's where it was heading and we were just waiting this entire episode for it to happen. Yeah, like when is this going to happen? Yeah. Although I will say the final shot of this scene was really great. I I really liked when Octavia looked at herself in the broken mirror. You know, I think it symbolized all of the fractured pieces of herself – you know, like Octavia versus Blood Reina, the warrior versus the leader, the sister and the daughter and the friend being someone who is all alone without any relationships. I really liked that kind of metaphor. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we've talked this whole season about how Octavia really has no idea who she is anymore. Yeah, she's um, like completely fractured. Yeah. Octavia walks in on Indra praying, even though Octavia thought the time of the commanders was over. Indra says it was, but now it's not. Octavia reveals that the day Indra asked her to be her second was the best day of Octavia's life, but now Indra has betrayed her. But Indra disagrees. She betrayed Bloodraina, not Octavia. Uh, so first off, it's really interesting to see Indra praying here, um, because I think even last season we got Gaia calling her out on like her her waning faith or her lack of faith, and I 
it's been a little while since I've seen it, but didn't she even mention like, do you even pray anymore or stuff like that? Um, So it was interesting just to kind of see her returning to that very clearly now that Maddie has ascended. I think her, like we talked about this again last episode, but her faith has been very much renewed um, and she's kind of back in that mode. Yeah. And I think more than just having the, you know, second coming of Maddie, if you want to look at her like a Jesus figure, (laughs) um, which we can talk about, in future episodes when this <laughs> season is all done. But uh, I do think like a real world experience is when you go through something traumatic or you have had a horrific experience and you've got nothing left. Sometimes all that you're left with is your faith. And mm-hmm. I like the idea of Indra being on, you know, on her last leg here, going into the fighting pits against her daughter and Bellamy, her daughter's brother basically um and just having nothing to go on except her faith and sort of finding that again within herself i think it's really applicable to the way that people who are not practicing when something bad happens to them find their faith again i also kind of adding on that it's something that a lot of people turn to at the end of their lives Mm -hmm. um and i think indra does believe at this point that she's going to die very soon Mm -hmm. um so just kind of returning back to that that like pure faith and that idea that there's more out there um is a comfort to a lot of people and i think it's a comfort to indra yeah agreed i loved this scene i mean indra back again as my mvp (laughs) she's just owning this season and i i'm shocked by how emotional Octavia was like when she was telling Indra about the best day of her life becoming Indra second I just was I couldn't believe that she was like opening up like that and I love that Indra never lets Octavia forget how strong she always was like she didn't give her anything she earned it she was always strong um even though it's her strength of will that's the root of all of their current problems right now Indra still respects it and loves her for it yeah, I mean, after this episode, I went back and I watched um, the season two scene where Indra asks Octavia to be her second. And watching that, it's honestly kind of devastating to think where we've ended up now three seasons later and how far Octavia has fallen. Well, she's she's risen and fallen yeah. um, in different ways. Um, but, you know, in that scene, you know, when, when Indra asks her, there's so much hope in Octavia there's so much hope that she has finally found a place that she can be accepted and finally be, you know, one of a people. Yeah. Find a family. Um, and in many ways she did. And now it's, it's broken. Yeah. Um, and it's her, her entire storyline has been such a roller coaster. And um, tragic. And so tragic. Every season it just gets sadder and sadder. I, mean, I know Jason always says it's a tragedy, but he is not kidding. I mean, if anyone has a tragic life, it's Octavia. And I, I don't say that um, because I think that everything that's happened, you know, I, I think a lot of things that have happened have been her own fault. Right. I think she's, she's brought she's it upon complicit. herself. She's very complicit in her own tragedy, which is... Even sadder. Even sadder. But that's like all Greek heroes yeah. are complicit in their own tragedy. That's that's part of the Greek trope of storytelling. And I think that's very fitting for Octavia, who aligns so clearly with all the Greek mythology that she embodies mm-hmm. and is personified by and is named after. Yeah. Um, and I just, I feel like it wasn't until Indra pointed out the difference between Octavia and Bloodrena that Octavia 
I don't think she really understood how far she's fallen, like you said, until Indra was like, I, I loved, I, I offered, you know, this to you as Octavia. That is not who you are anymore. You are something else. And I feel like it wasn't until this moment where Octavia really truly saw that or recognized it. Um, I think you felt a little differently. Yeah, well, I think I felt differently in the sense, first, that I do think Indra still sees Octavia in Octavia. Um, but I think she also very clearly sees Bloodrena, and I think she sees kind of a fight happening within Octavia to kind of kill that last bit of herself that, you know, still feels. We got, you know, when was it? Episode five, when Octavia was talking about um, how love is weakness. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we would got have gotten more of that this season because I would have wanted to see kind of how Octavia views that. Um, but that just kind of seemed to be a throwaway line. But I think that she really does view the Octavia part of Octavia as like her weak self. And she's not able to recognize that that part of her is actually like her greatest strength. And that is, you know, how she's going to be able to make wise decisions instead of decisions like Bladrena does, which is where she looks at the ends and not any sort of the means whatsoever. And I know this whole show is about kind of do the ends justify the means, but a lot of times they don't. And I feel like people, at least like Clark, will consider the means and the ends. But Bladrena is so focused on getting to that end that she hasn't really seen or like noticed about what she's been doing to her people. But her people have noticed, and that's why they're getting so restless at this point. Yeah, I really, really like that. But I feel like I did not answer your question. No, you did. Did I? Because I, yeah. I had something else to when we were ta- when we were writing this and you were talking about how um oh it was whether Octavia like when Octavia first started to notice that there was yeah. kind of a split between her and I don't f- for me I don't feel like it was this scene specifically I feel like it was before this I feel like it could have been as early as um when they opened up the bunker again I think she'd been living very much in Bloodrena world um for six years and then they opened up the bunker and you know Bellamy came in and her old friends came in and she was kind of forced to reckon with the person she used to be um so I think it's kind of more of a slower process of her realizing how split she really is um but yeah now I'm just trailing off no, <laughs> now I'm just it. blabbering so. I, was, I was I was into it okay <laughs> Uh, Indra says she taught Octavia to do what's best for her people and not herself, but Octavia thinks she's doing what's best for her people. Indra realizes that Octavia is here because one crew is refusing to march. Octavia asks Indra if they'll march if she'll put Gaia, Indra, and Bellamy in the arena, and Indra agrees they probably will, but Octavia already knew that. At this, Octavia begs for another option, but Indra says there isn't one, and tells her that if she puts the three of them in the arena, Indra will make sure that Gaia is the winner. I was really surprised when Octavia asked Indra for a better idea. It was a it was a really Clark move, and it very uncharacteristic for Bloodrena to ask for help. Yeah, it almost, I mean, I don't want to say it's a weakness to ask for help, but it seems like Bloodrena would view that as a weakness. Yeah. Um, so that was like Octavia, again, coming her through. love coming through, that yeah. she doesn't want to hurt these people that she cares about. Yeah, it was peeking in. <laughs> um, but no, I agree. I thought that was really nice um, little bit for this episode. And I think so much of this episode... The parts that I find most interesting are Octavia at war with herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish, you know what? I'm going to save that for later. <laughs> I have okay. I have a lot of frustration about 
what we know about Octavia this um, episode and this whole season specifically. I don't like this mystery that they've kept all the way till episode 11 about what happened in the bunker during those six years. I think it is like holding back information for no good reason. Only for the, for the review. For the shock value. value. Whereas it could have added so much more to these characters had they told it to us, you know, much, much earlier. Exactly. I feel like it's a, it's a problem that a lot of shows fall into a trap. I feel like this is a, this is a problem that Westworld often has as well, where they sacrifice character development and character insight for the shock value and save it for later mm-hmm. when honestly it w- it's a much more compelling TV to interweave it and introduce it earlier so we can have that background and have that context. Yeah, having context makes um, our understanding of each episode so much richer. Right. And it doesn't work when you have to do it backwards. So like it doesn't work that you watch episode 11 and then rewatch all of season five and have that. Exactly. You can't apply context eight episodes yeah. later. It doesn't work. Yeah, so... Kind of changing directions a little bit. I did want to mention um, Indra's line about how Octavia has in the past used fear to bend one crew to her will. And the way she said it sounded like such a slap in the face. But, and this is something that we can't really talk about until um, episode 11. But I, I really do feel like a lot of people kind of forced Octavia to become who she is I mean, we've said this over and over again but it just still feels like everyone is blaming her for things that yes she is responsible for but she's not entirely responsible for yeah she was not alone and and if she was alone it was because other people refused to share their burden with her i mean who was the first person who kind of taught her to use fear to bend one crew to her will it was Got, well, it was it was really Jaha, but, <laughs> but like um, you know, right after she killed all of those people um, and retook the Hydro Farm, you know, Gaia was the one who was like, "Oh, the blood of your enemies will be your armor. Go out there covered in blood, like force them to listen to you." Um, you know, so she started off learning pretty much right off the bat that like she needed to make them afraid of her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's not fair to use that against her now. But was this the first time, do you think, that Octavia really contemplated that her brother would probably die if she put him in the arena? Because the way, like, the the look on her face when Indra said, like, oh, Guy will be the winner, your brother will die, or something like that, she looked so shocked. Um, And I just kind of wonder if this was the moment where it became real to her. Yeah, I think it was. And I think we see that in the way she's asking her um, for help, like, for another idea. Mm -hmm. And later, when she goes to Monty... Like, she's getting desperate, and it's showing, and she's cracking. And again, her humanity and her love for her brother is coming through despite the fact that she still wants to be in control of the situation. Yeah. But she's losing control very quickly. Yep. So Abby is really sick and summons Vincent with the shock collar. When Vincent gets there, Abby tells him that she thought she could handle the detox, but she can't. She needs her pills. Vincent wonders if detoxing now is for the best, but Abby says her body won't survive the shock. She also still refuses to treat McCreary. Instead, Abby asks Vincent to find the pills and bring them to her. So first off, it cracks me up that she summoned Vincent with his shock collar. It, again, my dog metaphor. <laughs> no, it, it it was really funny. And I loved that he was like, we need to find a better way for you to get into yeah. contact with me. That was, a, that was a great joke. He was pretty chill about it, though, you know. <laughs> I think he's accustomed to pain. Yeah, that's true. And I'm sure he's really used to that shock collar <laughs> at this point. It never comes off of him. 
I thought Paige Turco did such an amazing job in this scene using like watching her use her body to show the symptoms of withdrawal was such an amazing performance like it is not easy to have to make your whole body shake voluntarily yeah and then also still act Mm -hmm. and like give your lines in a compelling way I mean, like, she's using a lot of parts of her brain and her body, and she's just, she's fantastic. She is really fantastic. You know who else is fantastic? Vincent. Vincent. (laughs) He's so practical and so loyal, and I love that he kind of goes through the steps of, like, okay, maybe you should detox, and she's like, I can't do that, and he's like, okay, maybe you should actually treat McCreary, and she's like, I can't do that, and he's like, okay, fine, I'll get you your pills, because I'm loyal to you, and I love you. (laughs) But as your friend, I wouldn't advise it. But okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. So I love Vincent. I know you do. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that, but I love him. Octavia comes into the hydro farm and asks Monty to go see Bellamy and tell him about Indra's weakness. Monty tells her to either tell Bellamy herself or call the whole thing off. Octavia says that Bellamy poisoned her, and yet for some reason they still don't want him to die, or she still doesn't want him to die. Um, so before we get into the scene, I just wanted to say they literally wrote a scene with Harper sleeping in the background. I'm just so offended on her behalf. I'm so offended. She has to be on set for this. It's ridiculous. I can't believe I I would just spit at them. (laughs) I would spit at the writers and be like, no, I'm leaving. I mean, I know that she's getting paid and she needs a job and this is like her career. I get that. But I would be so mad. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I can't talk about Harper anymore. It just infuriates me. Um, what was I going to say about this scene? Oh, I like that Octavia asks Monty a trick question here. <laughs> it was like almost like she had a sense of humor, but like not quite. Like it wasn't funny, but it was funny. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, why aren't you doing this? And he's like, maybe I am. And she's like, then, well, I then, then I'm going you. to murder you. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so I think it's fascinating that Octavia really is too scared to face Bellamy. Yeah. Like she is at this point begging Monty to talk to Bellamy because she can't face him herself. No, she is a little chicken. Yeah. Tail between legs. I also really think that Monty, um, is touching on a nerve by calling her a dictator. Kind of like, you know, the lady doth protest too much. Oh yeah. Um, because, I mean, I think she clearly knows that she has become that. Yes. But she hates that she, she has become it. that. She deeply resents it. And so I, she tries to ignore it, which doesn't quite work. No. <laughs> no. And I think she doesn't like when other people, like, hold a mirror Point up it to out. her yes. face. Yes. Oh, yeah. Put bum Yes. <laughs> a lot of mirror metaphors. Um, I also thought it was hilarious that Octavia was like, for some reason, I just don't want my brother to die. It's so weird. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Octavia... He's of your brother. Of course you don't want him to die. Like, yeah, he, he like, hurt you. Do you like, know how much shit you've put Bellamy through? Like, oh, my God. Like, what, five seasons of agony you've what put are you Bellamy saying? through. I know. That was a really <laughs> awkward line. Very, very awkward. Well, it's awkward, but I also think it fits her because she's always been very self-centered in that way, yeah. um, which, again, I won't get into, you know, the reasons behind it trauma (laughs) but but she has never had Bellamy's interest at heart in the way that he's had hers right and so I think she hasn't really realized what effect her treatment of him has had on him right um it's just you know what has he done to her always about me yeah never about him yeah yeah 
Monty shows her that the Hydra Farm apple plants are blossoming again, and that with a few years, he could do the same to the topsoil outside. They don't need to march on Shallow Valley, and Bellamy doesn't need to die. But Octavia doesn't bite. They march as soon as the fight is over, and she wants Bellamy to be the winner, but Monty refuses to help her. Octavia, angry, tells Monty that the farmers won't save the world, the warriors will. So, um, I really appreciated Monty's determination, um, to get the farm working again. But, again, he is still missing the essential point that one crew, and especially Octavia, does not want to and cannot stay in this bunker. Like, they don't want to stay here. You're just missing the point. Obtusely missing the point. Yeah, one of my, my favorite lines this episode, um, after Monty kind of showed her the ghost apple plants, yeah. was her saying, the ghosts can have this place. I loved that line. She just... This place is haunted for her and right. with memories, with actual people who've died because of her. Um, and it, I, I think it's really not just her, but I think it's the worst for her because she's the one who's caused a lot of this. Whereas for other people, her own people, they lived through it, but they didn't cause it necessarily. Right. So she has this like guilt. She's the one who it. really has to get away from this place. She can't live like this anymore yeah and I kind of feel like the way in which Murphy becomes dysfunctional in space is kind of the same way that Octavia is dysfunctional in the bunker yeah um where if you would if you remove them from these environments that are toxic to them they be and you know and hopefully with a lot of therapy they could become better healthier people yeah but like trapping them here only makes it worse yeah and Monty just like I know he has the emotional capacity to recognize this. He's just, like, obstinately not. And it's annoying to me. Well, I think... I mean, I... But I I mean, I understand where he's coming from. He's I do, He's just too. so hopeful. He is. That they can find a better way. But, like, Monty, not everyone is as good as you. And not everyone... I feel like it takes a lot of strength to decide to live kind of a subpar life um, when there's this, like chance Se- seemingly like basically eden out yeah. there that you could go and like live in a utopia what they would consider a utopia um so like the thought of staying in the bunker and eating algae and like little you know apples <laughs> it doesn't seem to be a life that a lot of people would want but monty would be okay with it as long as people were okay we're yeah. safe yeah i i totally see where he's coming from but i think there is a lack of empathy on his part where he like Octavia sees like his way is the best way granted I think he's right um, <laughs> he actually has the yeah. added benefit of, of <laughs> being right um, but you know refusing to understand the psychology from where she's coming from and, and everyone else in the bunker where they, they can't stay here anymore I mean They'll- what's really absurd though he's not right the best way to do this would be just to surrender to Oct- or to Dioza and then, like, share the valley. Like, oh, you agreed. You could share Eden. Just agreed. Octavia. She doesn't need to die. She just needs to surrender, you know? <laughs> oh, God. I think that's the real problem this season is, like, the one good plan is the one that they can't get to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, I do empathize a lot with Monty. I just think that he's also being short-sighted. Yeah. Um. I'm curious, do you think this is kind of foreshadowing about how they'll survive uh, Eden after it's destroyed, as it will inevitably be destroyed, um, with 
you know, Monty's algae and being able to turn over the topsoil to grow crops again. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I still haven't given up on them, like, going to another planet. But if they do that, I could see some either staying behind or I could be totally off base and they all might stay behind and use his algae. Although we did mention that it would be a couple of years before he, things would get... Yeah, um, he said it would take a few years for things to actually grow that would be edible. I still really do think we're going to at least get them in cryo tanks for a while. Okay. I feel like that makes the most sense. I'm not disagreeing with you. I know, but I just, <laughs> I just feel like they need to just wait it out. The earth is a crap place right now. They just need to chill for a while. <laughs> earth is a crap place because it's inhabited by humans and humans are pieces of shit. Well, humans turned it into a crap place. But right. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, like Coming I know. Back and still being humans isn't going to fix anything. <laughs> well, it'll buy them some time, buy them some space. <laughs> Um, I know we've already had this conversation too about Monty deciding that he wouldn't help his friends if that meant that he would have to kill or contribute to the deaths of other people. Yeah. I still just think it's bullshit. I think it's bullshit too. I, the idea of him not stepping in with a rescue plan to get Bellamy out of there is ridiculous. And I've been trying to figure out this episode um, when he decides to go in and like try to convince everyone about staying in the bunker with his like little apple plant um at what point is that is it before this is it after this like because that that changes things for me if he like had this in mind the whole time like if it gets to this point i'll go in and you know do this and reveal octavia you know lying to you all or if this was like a you know last minute decision of like I can't let Bellamy die and then he like runs in I feel like I want it to be the former but I think it's the latter because if it were the former I feel like he would have done it before the fighting started yeah I agree and the fact that the fighting had already begun and Gaia had already thrown the spear to try and kill Octavia and at that point he rushed in um sort of suggests that it was a last minute decision I agree and that's frustrating to me Maybe that's just the kind of person I am. I can't imagine letting my friends hurt. Especially because, like, how many times have you, like, had to rescue your friends? How many times have they had to rescue you? How many times has Bellamy saved your your life? life? Like, I, it's just, were all of those other times in vain? Did they mean nothing? Like, he's your family. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sure some people will understand this, but I just... I've tried to rationalize it and I just I can't get there yeah I mean I feel like what they're trying to do with this character is sort of make him a pacifist in the same way that people refused um to be when they were um what is it called when you're called for war oh uh I almost want to say deported that's not it uh drafted drafted yes like when you refuse the draft because you're like a pacifist yeah and I think that's what they're kind of trying to go for but I don't feel like that is an accurate analogy because there is an immediacy to the people who are put being put into danger here and they are like his literal family yeah so I can't I just can't buy that I think um I'm trying to look at it as the writers setting aside a distinction for you know, like this whole show has basically been about who are your people and what will you do for them mm-hmm. and I think the writers are trying to do this pacifist thing like I wouldn't like even though I love my people I wouldn't hurt anyone for my people right um I just don't know if that's realistic it isn't for me 
I maybe you're right. Maybe it like again, maybe it is for someone, but I will just never be able to get no, there. Rationally. It's not for me. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. I just wanted to quickly point out there were a lot of biblical references in this scene. Um I'll just go through them kind of quickly. I lay um sorry. Octavia picks up the apple blossoms, um, which obviously are very representative of the apple that Eve picked from the tree of knowledge. However, in this iteration, you know, she refuses to eat it or or keep it the flower. Um which is kind of like refusing the opportunity to gain wisdom or knowledge. And in this case, that would mean choosing the peaceful option, which would be allowing Monty to continue to grow the farm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is her refusing to eat it is literally her refusing to eat the food in the hydro farm. Right. It's pretty literal, but also metaphorical (laughs) at the same time. And I like that that works on multiple layers. Um, And also she calls Monty and Harper Adam and Eve. So again, very literal as they're creating the garden themselves, (laughs) uh, which I liked. And I also liked that by the end of the episode, we see that she's really the snake in the garden all along. And she is the one who ends up destroying their mini mini Eden here, um, which could have been paradise in a sense their savior yeah and she destroys it so I liked I liked all of those biblical references I love when the show gets metaphorical and allegory um abounds it's really great um and the last thing that I wanted to say about this scene before we move on is shout out the title of the episode was here the warrior's will I like how the warrior's will makes it sound like the word will is a noun Mm -hmm. like someone's will yeah um but they use it as a verb here or sorry well as a verb as in like the future tense of of is i'm getting into like being a huge grammar nerd but yeah it's a future tense verb um so i really like that transition of like passiveness versus act activeness Mm -hmm. like this and that kind of represents octavia where she's always active um and always choosing something for herself and for her people and not letting other people choose it. Yeah. I like I like that idea a lot. And I mean that you know, titles always mean multiple things. So we also get, you know, the noun um version of will throughout this episode mm-hmm. and, and kind of seeing what that means. Exactly. So. And I I mean I just like the idea of Octavia using this in a way to defend herself and the the show's thesis that you either fight to survive or you die. Um, and that's kind of the way it works. Well, it's funny because, yes, that's the show's thesis. But here she's not, I think, written to be correct. Like we're not supposed no. to view her as correct. No, no. But I think that's what the show, that is the show's thesis is like, if you these are your two options, how do you handle it? Yeah. And what are the repercussions when you're put into a situation where you either fight for your life or you die. I think what's really interesting about, you know, that would, what you just brought up is um, that was the whole thing with Dioza. She was saying, you know, yes, we might be fighting, but I am prepping for us to live here. Right. To she, you know, she wanted the farmers. She wanted the engineers. She wants to build settlements. Um, whereas Octavia just, just wants war. That's all she knows. Destroys it all to hell yeah. for the sake of destruction. Yeah. Well, no, for the sake of a future that I don't think is possible to come true. I think she wants this future where her people can just be safe in the valley. I guess it's possible for it to come true. She just isn't going about it the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 
Maddie's screaming, and we get flashbacks to Becca Promheta, who was burned alive by Bill Cadigan and his people. Maddie wakes and tells Clark that she could feel everything Becca felt. That's when Clark reveals that it was a memory, and if Clark takes out the flame, Maddie doesn't have to deal with them anymore. But Maddie says she'd put the flame back in, so if Clark takes it out, she'll have to destroy it. So this is really the only scene I wanted to talk about this episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bill Cadigan is back! He's back! <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have so this one scene. He's back. (laughs) This one scene, I feel reawakens a lot of my interest in um, the mythology of this world and how this world came to be. Um, And it was really just like a few lines was all it took. Oh no, the mythology and the origin story is fascinating. And if we ever get a prequel series, we are. Jason's writing that. Remember, I think it's a book though. But it's not like a TV pilot, though. He's not doing it as a pilot. Not yet. (laughs) I don't know. He is writing a prequel series, and it is going to be in some part about Cadigan. So take that as you will. Oh, my God. (laughs) I forgot. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it is happening at some point. Um, So there's, like, a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk about, even though this scene is so short. (laughs) Yeah, no. it's, It's a lot to unpack. I think, you know, basically trying to condense what happens here is it looks like Becca tried to get them to take her serum, to take her um, nightblood, and and let the flame help them to rebuild the earth, but they rejected it. Um, So, like, my first question is, if they didn't, you know, want her serum and they burned her alive instead, how did all of these people later end up as natural nightbloods? Do you think that they ended up kind of turning on Cat again or at some point just kind of evolving to where they wanted to leave the bunker so they took the serum like what are what are your thoughts there because I honestly am confused <laughs> I actually thought it was a faction of people like cult people who were following Cat again who killed her like oh yeah no it is yeah what but yes. it's not everyone so I feel like there are some people who, like, worship her and other people who, like, do you see what I'm saying? No, because I do think when she landed, the people that she met were Cadigan's people. Because she landed right in Polis, and that's where the bunker their bunker was. And the people that she met were all wearing the um, yeah. hazmat suits. I think that they were Cadigan's people. I don't think that anyone in this area survived who weren't in that bunker. Because of the radiation. I mean, it was, like, totally destroyed. Maybe there was, like, a secret cult within a cult who worshipped her. And all of Cadigan's people killed each other off. And the cult of Promheta was left. Maybe. I'm just spitballing. I know. I know. I'm just trying to, like, think about... And maybe this is what the prequel will discuss. But I'm fascinated by how we went from becca being burned at the stake to becca being like lauded as like their first hedda you know right she's like their god i feel like (laughs) like kind of in the way that like gaia is secretly practicing their religion like maybe there was like a secret society practicing their religion to her maybe i mean i also wonder if i mean i'm kind of going off of your thing maybe they ended up overthrowing cadigan in the same way that octavia's people are kind of turning against her Maybe. I mean, that, that's another kind of um, parallel, aside from the whole flame <laughs> motif we have here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the burning of something that can help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just loved that we finally got confirmation that Becca and Cadigan uh, knew each other. And not just knew each other, but they did not like each no, other. No, no. Because they, they are 
very opposite sides of the spectrum with faith and science. And Cadigan's got like a crazy faith, so that adds on to it. Cultist. Um, But I just, I think it's so, it makes me really want to know how those societies kind of merged because we see little bits of um, the second dawn. what's the word I'm looking for? Not mythology, but like the second dawn mottos and um, imagery Mm -hmm. that ended up playing a huge part in how the grounder society formed. Right. Um, But then we also have, you know, Becca's in the flame. Right. So it's very much like a a merging of of two. Yeah. Um, So I just, I would really love to know how that happened. And I hope that we'll someday find out. I do think it's interesting and telling that we're seeing this memory specifically, like Mm -hmm. out of all, all the things we could have seen, this is the memory that the writers chose to show us. Um, I don't know if that means it's going to be significant later on, either this season or next. Uh, it could be, in in my opinion, I'd love it to be a reminder that um, Maddie can communicate with Becca because I think that Becca could tell her a lot about Allegius Three that I want to find out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really exciting prospect, I think. But um, overall, I also want to just highlight one quote here from Becca. She said about Cadigan, you think he's saving you, but he's killing you. And I think that just relates so strongly into um, what Octavia's arc has been this season. Absolutely. With her people. Absolutely. There's a lot of overlap here. And I also love the idea of having the first Hedda, Becca, and the current or maybe the last Hedda, (laughs) which is Maddie, as kind of like bookends um, to the entire generation's um, of Hedda's yeah. and commanders. I think that's really beautiful in the, in that symmetry um, and just a really interesting um, juxtaposition of Becca, who is this older woman. She was wise and brave and true with Maddie, who is this like young, sprightly baby doll face, <laughs> um, but who is wise and brave in her own way. Uh, I just really like it. Um And as much as I didn't want Maddie to take the flame, because I really didn't, I do and am enjoying watching her grow and mature as a person. And I also like that she is emoting now on a level that Clark isn't capable of doing for anyone other than Maddie. Mm -hmm. Like, she is so conscientious of people around her um, and what's going on with them in a way that, like, Clark just can't think about, doesn't have room to think about. And I just feel like that like I've been missing that from Clark and I like that it's still present here even if it's coming from Maddie no I totally agree um I just have two more technical questions the first one being Becca was burned alive yeah wouldn't that have like harmed the flame (laughs) like we're assuming the flame was still in her right I don't know why she would have taken it out I don't think we can assume that well I guess we have to assume it because um Maddie has the memory of it and she wouldn't if the flame wasn't we in her. We have a memory of Becca burning. No, she said that she was Maddie. Or she, Maddie said that she was oh, Becca. Oh, you're right. She was Becca. You're right. You're right. Um, so that's probably just a little bit of retconning there. Yeah, that we're like, just going to have to let that go. Um, and then my second one is last season they called the, the door to the bunker. That was thought to be Becca's grave. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we kind of wondered last season, like, did he kill her and throw her in there? Like, what what could have happened there? But now that we know he burned her alive, I'm even more curious why they would think that was Becca's grave. Yeah, I'm not sure. My, my like, kind of morbid, cynical take on that is that a lot of times, like, people get it wrong. 
like mythology and like faith. Yeah. Oftentimes, like the Bible, it's not actually accurate. Um, and I kind of like the idea of them like creating a mythology and like a place of rest for her that's like really has this like austerity to it that just like wasn't actually true in her origin story and like grew up around her legend. Um, which is like often the case in like a lot of religions. I see that. But conversely, I want to say a lot of mythology stems from things that really happen that people have like built up. Oh, Um, so I I feel like it's really weird that they called it her grave when it very clearly wasn't, but like that had to start somewhere. Right. And like, where did that start? No, I think it's a great question. Like, why did they choose this spot? Like, why would that be the place of rest that they either wanted her or that she ended up did actually laying to rest? It's a good question. And another question, why was the bunker sealed when they found it? You know, it was like clear in the scene with uh, Becca burning that they were still in their hazmat suits, so they did not have the night blood in them. So they must have still been living in the bunker. I would like to know the point when they like left the bunker, sealed it, and the bunker was forgotten. There's so much here to explore. Yeah, we're not going to get any of that. I know we're not. <laughs> Again, we might in the prequel. We might next season. Honestly, we could next season. I, I honestly I feel like they've been planning this Cadigan stuff for a really long time and letting it like kind of like like um, foster and grow and don't incu- tease and me. incubate. <laughs> incubate is the word I was looking for for a couple of seasons now to get it just right for you. Do we think crazy theory? Oh God. I think I actually we might have talked about this before, like last season or something. But do we think that Cadigan killed Becca because he wanted the flame for himself? So he took the flame. I feel, yeah. that's, that's, I feel like that's unlikely just because I think he was a fanatic who probably believed what he was saying. Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate. I think he just felt like she was a threat in every way. Yeah. Um, but I do think we've talked about this before. Um, just, I'd love to know. Someday. Don't tease me about Kat again, Oh, my though. God. We'll I probably know. never hear from him again. Probably not. But this <laughs> did really just, like, refresh my love for him. <laughs> Burning Becca at the stake. Before before we, we get into more theories about Kat again, really quickly, I just wanted to touch on something you said earlier, which is the symbolism of the flame as a piece of technology and as a religious relic versus it being compared to, like, actual flames that yeah. are like burning Becca I, I mean like the the name of the 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 term the flame has always been fascinating to me because mm-hmm. it's like why do you call it that um because I, she called it Allie too I know oh <laughs> I, I know you know I was I was adding to the conversation <laughs> yes thank you but like you know as far Did as I just ravensplain you, you ravensplained <laughs> me too and I'm a ravenclaw um but I meant like why did the writers choose the word the flame yeah um, and I like this idea, even if it's a retcon of it kind of tying into her death. Mm-hmm. I really like that kind of symbolism there. It is a true martyr's death. It is. She's rocking it yeah. to the very end. Not what I would choose, but you know. <laughs> but she is like kind of like a witch, so I, it's fitting. Yeah. You mean like a smart woman? A smart, a smart woman. <laughs> so like a witch? <laughs> yes. I, that's exactly yes. what I mean. Somebody who is like looked at, looked down on because of her power and knowledge. Yeah. yeah. That, that kind of witch. A badass witch. 
So before I move on, I just wanted to mention um, the email that Alex sent us earlier. She gave us a really fun theory that, you know, just helps along my, my Cadigan love. She said, while rewatching the season four finale a while ago, I thought it was a big coincidence that the air compressor uh, from the lighthouse bunker was able to plug in and work on the arc. So my theory is that the company who made Becca's lab, the lighthouse, and possibly Bill's bunker also made the arc, or at least part of it. So it makes me wonder if the original grounders on the arc are also connected to everything else more than just the fact that they were in space when the bombs happened um i love that theory i love this theory. i don't know if it will ever really be answered on the show but i think it's a really fascinating bit of backstory that i can just like you know i think I, is, I, I can headcanon i was it. just gonna say i think this is headcanon from now until proven wrong this is headcanon although there is like a a little part of me that's also wondering if all of this is tied into Allegius and the Allegius company. Um, what were what was there was Allegius who did the missions, and then the company that made the ship was, I guess, Gagarin. Yeah, the gag the Gagarin. Yeah, I don't know if that is a big deal. I think I Allegius know. is probably like the the main company, but yeah. you know maybe they were involved in this in some way too, and that's how that could come back. Probably not, but. Um, it is just fun to think about, about yeah, how they all can be connected. Yeah, a lot of stuff swirling in the air. More fodder for the prequel, man. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, let's move on after we've exhausted that, yes. <laughs> that like, two-second scene. <laughs> That's why we podcast. Yep. Octavia visits Bellamy, remembering the time when Octavia cut her lip as a child and was worried someone would see her blood and find her. To protect her, Bellamy cut his own arm open, and he's come a long way from that to poisoning her. But Bellamy said that he also did that to protect her from herself. Uh, so first, they even play the floor is lava game in space. Yeah, but the floor is lava in space is the, the idea that the ground is the thing that's dangerous. And I mean, they really nailed that one right on the head there. I mean, yes, but also remember that first one to touch the ground loses. And Octavia was the first one to touch the ground. Yeah. And she has really lost. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not subtle. <laughs> I loved Bellamy's line. Um of protecting Octavia from herself. It's the second time someone has said this to her. Indra said it to her in the last episode. And I, I just love this sort of repetition of that because it's both of these people who love her. And again, Octavia's greatest enemy is herself. And she's lost sight of, of who she is and lost control of herself in a lot of ways. Um, and I like that both of them, like the people closest to her, have now said this to her twice. Yeah. I... I also did think it was crazy when she's telling the story about, you know, Bellamy literally sacrificing his own lifeblood for her. Right. It doesn't occur to her that, like, maybe that should buy him a little bit of leeway. We talked about this earlier a little bit, but just her not realizing what he's given to her and what he's given up for her. Yeah. Um, or maybe, like, maybe realizing but just not really caring. <laughs> yeah. Like, incapable of, like allowing him the smallest bit of for, of just of forgiveness, forgiveness. Or, uh, she just like lays out this whole story and then like flips it around like and now you betrayed me right. but it's, it's like, like you've missed look at the, what he's done you've for missed you the entire point of your yeah. own story which is like the saddest part of it and I think it's really on it's a really on purpose that the writers did it that way because yeah. we are not supposed to be on her side we are the ones who are listening to the story and like god Bellamy was a great brother and then for her to flip it all of a sudden you're like oh my god you, you, you've lost sight of what you were talking about yeah. like, you have missed your own point 
Um, Octavia tells him the worms are gone, but Bellamy can't believe that she's still willing to go to war, even knowing how many of her own people will die. She turned the spunker into a story from her childhood. Octavia tells him about Indra's weakness, that she loves Indra, but Indra isn't her blood, and she wants Bellamy to kill her. Bellamy says he won't fight and tells Octavia there's no coming back from what she's about to do. But Octavia says he can't save her because she's already dead. The old Octavia can't come to the phone right now <laughs> because she's dead. <laughs> um, so I guess some good points to bring up here. Bellamy does not understand how Octavia came to be this way, and neither do we. And this is my main complaint. We talked about this earlier, but now I kind of wanted to bring it full circle that this scene but also much of this whole season would have been so much more impactful if we knew the bunker story. Oh, I completely agree. I think this scene is where it like really, it hits really me. hits home. Um, the line, I wish I understood what made you this way. There's a gentleness about him and an emotional fluency, which is why I love Bellamy so much. Mm-hmm. And we get so much from him in this one question, but it's actually ring. It's, it doesn't, it's a useless throwaway line because we also don't understand what made her this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as if it, it, this would be so much more impactful if he didn't understand, but we did. Yeah. Some dramatic have, irony. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. This is why we live together. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like if we knew what he didn't, that would have made that line so much more impactful. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it's a great line and it's really, um, in character for him in a way that I've kind of been missing this whole season. But ultimately I, I think it's kind of wasted. I mean, I think it, it also would have added a lot more empathy for Octavia's character because right now, especially in this scene, it's like Octavia, what the hell are you even talking about? Right. You just sound like a crazy person. You know, I think he says something like, what kind of leader does that? And she's like, you don't know what kind of leader I am or something. You don't know along what I've done yeah. to get here or something like that. I would love to know what you've done to get here. Yeah. Please share with the class. <laughs> um, also on a side note, did Octavia create this whole Red Queen story um, in the arena to feel closer to her brother in some weird, twisted way? Because he does mention that, you know, you've created, you're, you've turned this bunker into a story from your childhood. Mm-hmm. Is is there some sort of safety in that for her? Like being able to kind of play act as, you know, Greek and Roman heroes um, kind of brings her back to her childhood? Yeah, I think in a sort of a subconscious way, it, it stems from a place of safety and security that she had with Bellamy. I I also think it's a way of separating herself from reality if she is a character in a storybook in a fairy tale then it's not real and obviously like this is all very subconscious but and I she do, doesn't have to be afraid either right um she's very much like um displacing herself mm-hmm. in, a, in a way it's a coping mechanism yeah and I also really like how that sort of fa- ties into the overarching theme we've been getting this season of how stories and fairy tales and myths and legends sort of play against the idea of reality and Mm -hmm. having to reconcile the two we've seen this a lot with maddie we've seen this a lot with you know bell and me reconciling his idea of octavia with who she's become and clark and bellamy same thing i like this idea of octavia doing it to herself yeah in the same kind of way is really really interesting and i i like and i appreciate that like commitment to that theme i totally agree um, I do say have to say I take major issue with the I, with Octavia's thesis that she loves Indra but she's not blood. 
the way that Bellamy is. I feel like family is family, blood related or not. And Indra is just as much Octavia's family as Bellamy is at this point. I'm very confused why she's willing to sacrifice Indra over Bellamy when I think realistically she would not be okay sacrificing either. I mean, I do think if she had to pick, she'd pick Bellamy. But I agree with you in that I don't think Octavia's ever viewed blood as like the most important thing no, in a family. No, that like, just she's, seems like out of left field. Yeah, she's such a weird thing to say for five seasons for a place to belong, for a family to belong to. Um, so it, I agree that it was just a weird way to phrase that. Yeah, I thought it was very strange. Um, and one more thing I wanted to say is the line "You can't save someone who is already dead" was devastating. It was a devastating line. I think Octavia believes that she's lost herself completely. We saw at the end of last episode when she was crying that, you know, this isn't true. She's not actually dead inside. I think she just can't find this kernel of herself anymore. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know how to recognize it, Um, which is, again, incredibly tragic to me. I see it a little bit differently from you, and I guess I don't think either one has to be mutually exclusive, but mm-hmm. the way I see it is that Octavia is trying to convince Bellamy that Octavia is dead and she's just Blood Reina, but she really knows that she's still in there and she hates herself for being in there, and she wishes that the Octavia part of her was dead because I think it would be much easier for her to go on if the Octavia part of her didn't exist anymore. Um so I feel like she just, she she wants to believe it, but she doesn't really. Yeah, I like that theory too, or that interpretation too. And I agree, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think Octavia really knows what the hell's going on. I don't so. think she does. <laughs> I don't think she's self-aware enough to, yeah. to like know that she's like, hates herself. I think we're talking a lot about like her subconscious, right. not necessarily well, her conscious. I actually think you and I are saying the same thing in different words. Yeah. So that's not, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Octavia goes into her office and starts to cry. She stares into the broken mirror on the wall, and after a moment, she grabs a piece of glass. She puts the glass to her wrist, hesitates, then moves the glass to her arm, cutting it open. Then she takes the blood from her cut and rubs it on her face. So, I loved this scene. Mm. Personally, I know a lot of people were upset about this scene online, but I thought it was a really fascinating look. Actually, the most... um, it's the most context that I've been given on Octavia this entire season up to this point. Yeah. I think having her look at herself and her broken reflection in the mirror and contemplate for a moment just killing herself. Like, she doesn't want to be alive anymore. Um, she's so numb and yet in so much pain at the same time. And <laughs> those things, like, don't seem like they'd mesh, but they do. They do. Because, again, she is, like, split off. There's two separate parts of her mm-hmm. um, that just aren't able to coexist mm-hmm. um and so like her her contemplating just ending it all for one moment and who knows if that's the first moment she's ever thought that it might not be um but in that moment her realizing that like I still have work to do I still have to save my people I think in her mind at least mm-hmm. save my people for us we know that she's completely gone off the deep end at this point and what she's doing is not good for her people but in her mind it is and so she cuts herself and uses the blood to basically cover herself in the blood of her enemy, which is Octavia, which right. is like her her feeling self, right? The self that loves Octavia versus Bloodrina. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a beautiful it's, metaphor. It's really great. It's an exceptional piece of writing. And there was no, there was no dialogue. It was no. just one of those like no. 
it, really it, great cinematography scenes that I think gets across the, the inner turmoil so deeply. The stage direction and, you know, the the gestures of this scene are, are beautiful. And Marie does a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention, I feel a little bit salty because when we watched this episode and saw that broken mirror, I was like, I bet we'll find out in a flashback during the dark year, like how that mirror broke. And then it will add like so much more context to her in this moment, looking at this broken mirror. No, I'm going to spoil it for you guys. We do not get any broken mirror backstory. (laughs) No, we don't. Why can't I write this show? (laughs) Or I, I want to edit this show. I want to dramaturg this show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on now. <laughs> when Maddie wakes up again, she realizes that Clark didn't take out the flame, and Clark reveals that she can't destroy it. Clark notes that Maddie was crying in her sleep and asks if she's seen enough, and Maddie says yes, but she still needs to see it, to feel it. Clark tells her she's letting her keep the flame for now, but if Maddie tries to challenge Octavia, Clark will take it out. Faster than she can say Shinday. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie knows Clark's fears are becoming or are because of what happened to Lexa but Clark won't let the same thing happen to Maddie now so I really love seeing Maddie in this scene and how strong she is um, not physically but mentally mm-hmm. for her being able to kind of like take all of this in and process it again my question is is this the flame or is this Maddie like where does one stop and the other begin and does it really matter I don't think it really matters I think it's both as we've said before. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think there is this weird thing that the show is kind of suggesting that there is some kind of fate or destiny happening here. Like Maddie is the chosen one and it is not maybe an entirely coincidental that this really intelligent, loving, brave girl is the one to inherit the flame you know like it's a classic story trope Mm -hmm. like she's the chosen one um and even though we know on a logical level that like the reason that she showed up when she did was because clark dragged her there and like we have all of the previous five seasons of backstory to add as like you know sequences of events that led to this point i do think there is this other layer of of mysticism or fate or whatever you want to call it that is interplaying into this um, that Gaia kind of keeps tapping into in a way that like the show doesn't really need to address but it just kind of like sits there Um, so I I like that idea as well she's like destined for this and she is uniquely equipped to, to handle this because of who she is Playing into that, I kind of want to say, like, the show is very um, focused on science and not necessarily as much on the um, the benefits of faith, mm-hmm. which I think makes sense because the benefits of faith are something that you can't really put into words. No, you can't quantify it. But, you know, for people who do want to look at it like that, this world has ended so many times and yet each time there has been some sort of hero that's risen up that saved people you know Becca I mean there's like a literal savior (laughs) Clark saved people and now Maddie is the next one after each all women well they're all I mean that's just because women women are the best (laughs) they're all women just throwing that out there but I do think that there's something to be said about the show making Maddie the chosen one and even though they're I wouldn't say in my um, way of viewing the world that I think that there are chosen people. 
but I do like that aspect of storytelling mm-hmm. about, you know, one person rising up and changing things. And I think that's something that you can still apply to the real world about, you know, I think even one person can make a difference. Um, and so here, I don't personally believe that it's fate, but I do think you can look at it that way. And I don't think you'd be wrong. Right. Um, it's just kind of how you choose to interpret it. And exactly. I think I like that there's kind of both sides of that. There's here. an open endedness to this. Like the, 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 again, the writers don't put forward like one argument over the other they kind of leave it up to the viewer to decide for themselves and I really like that (laughs) there was another perfect piece of dialogue here where Clark was like I am letting you keep this thing in your head I just was like I flashbacked so hard to my mom at, like any mom, like I Every am mom, letting you do this I'm right now. I'm letting you do this thing, but like, <laughs> I am in charge. Don't you think for a second that you, it's your choice? You step out of line one time. <laughs> oh my god! And again, I just I really appreciated the continuity with bringing up Lexa in this capacity. She was really important as a as a commander, and she was really important to Clark, which makes her doubly important to Maddie. And I liked that double significance, and I think it makes sense that Lexa would be the one to come forward at this time yeah and the one that Maddie focuses on this is devastating and I also kind of want to know how much of Lexa is there in the chip I mean I don't want to get into discussion about soul versus just you know the inner workings of your brain right. and what makes you, you. Co- or like a copy but versus- there I mean there is a copy of some sort of Lexa in there now how much of that is Lexa you can discuss on a different podcast yeah but um I do like the thought of Lexa being able to see Clark now and to see Clark you know, loving someone so deeply, I think Lexa would be really happy that Clark had found someone like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I hope that in some ways I hope Maddie can keep the flame because I think Lexa, I like the idea of like Lexa watching over her in some way. I love that idea. I love the idea of Lexa being like her godmother. Oh, Maddie? Yeah. Oh, I meant watching over Clark. Oh, no, I... with Maddie, she's her mom. <laughs> Clark's her mom and Maddie's her mom. Maddie's like her, her, her mental child and then Clark's her like physical mother, you, you know? Mean Lexa. Or Lexa's like her, her mental mom, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that idea a lot. <laughs> yeah, into it. But I did want to joke. I When Clark was, um, or when Maddie was saying, like, I know that's the reason that you were afraid of me having the flame. It's because of Lexa. My first thought was, are we really going there? Right. <laughs> like, like, are you talking about when they had sex? Yeah. That was my first thought too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I definitely thought that. And then she was like, a lot of, all commanders died. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're talking about her death. Oh, like that. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Brittany. Like, what are you doing? But surely Clark has thought about it oh, before. Oh, I like, would. <laughs> it's very inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> so Vincent comes into the med clinic and gives Abby the pills, but the guards catch them. To stop them from radioing McCreary, Vincent attacks them and rips their throats out with his teeth. <laughs> Abby starts to pass out, and Vincent tells her to take her pills, and he'll clean it up when he's through. So I think it's really interesting how sympathetic Vincent is to Abby's plate. You know, he really understands what it's like to crave something <laughs> bad. Um, and it's not um, its not a characteristic that you would associate with a psychopath or a serial killer or somebody who has, like, an emotional disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, he is sympathetic yeah like that is he has a feeling it's a feeling and it's real um and it's to another human being and yet he still is able to chomp chomp on other people i kind of wonder i don't know a lot about the um psychology of serial killers but we kind of 
always look at them as, you know, psychopaths or sociopaths. Right. But Vincent hasn't quite come across that way. That's kind of what um, I was getting at. So I yeah. kind of wonder, like, what what would you categorize that in today's psychology terms? Like, right. What, what kind of neurosis does he have? Yeah. Um, because he doesn't seem like a sociopath. Yeah. Who is, like, absolutely cut off from human emotion. He has human emotion. Mm-hmm. And he connects to people. He's a pretty nice dude he's, when he's, he's not chill. murdering. <laughs> um, you know, until he, like, chomp chomps. <laughs> I was so excited to see the Hannibal Lecter coming out. He just like eats that guy's face. Yeah. He just like chomp chomps. Yeah. <laughs> like, like dinosaur style. Uh, oh yeah. This is what I've been waiting for all season. <laughs> it was even better than I thought it would be. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I, I didn't think he would attack someone with his teeth. I did. I was like all season long. I've just been watching his mouth. Well, I've been watching his mouth in the sense that like I was afraid like if someone's fingers got too close, he'd like bite them off. But I didn't expect him to like literally like jump at someone and like rip their throats yeah, out. Yeah, this is more <laughs> um, aggressive than I thought it was going to be. But I, the blood and like the gore of it, mm-hmm. like that was basically what I was thinking. And that's why I was afraid. I wonder if he's going to cut these guys' feet feets, no. feet and, and hands keep off so he can keep them in his collection. As a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so it was really sad that abby a doctor who in any other season would have been appalled at vincent's behavior and probably would have tried to stop it chooses to go for the pills over the shock collar like we see her swaying she's dizzy she's losing consciousness for sure she needs the pills but instead of you know forgoing her need her addiction and you know stopping vincent from brutally attacking these men she goes for the pills um which I think is very telling yeah I I like that you kind of explained that to me because when I watched it I kind of saw her try to grab the shock collar and then like she kind of fell over and I didn't really view it in my mind as like her choosing the pills I was just like oh she can't get to it like she's too dizzy but then the way you put it makes so much more sense about like she wants to stop it but she wants the pills more she wants the pills more and like her addiction is what wins out in yeah. the end um and we've seen this play out over and over again and every time it just sort of escalates further and further until pretty soon she's not gonna not gonna have anywhere else to fall yeah she's gonna hit rock bottom i'm sure pretty soon <laughs> very 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 soon very soon <laughs> no spoilers <laughs> While they wait to go into the arena, Indra tells Gaia that she's going to kill Bellamy and then sacrifice herself so Gaia can win. But Gaia disagrees. Instead, Gaia plans to kill Octavia to protect Maddie. Bellamy comes in and asks what happens if they don't fight, and Indra says they'll be executed. Bellamy wants Octavia to have to kill him herself if she can. Indra agrees she may not be able to kill Bellamy or even Indra, but she could kill Gaia. And because of that, Indra will fight and she'll kill Bellamy quickly. I loved the way this scene so clearly shows the contrast between Indra and Gaia. Indra is worrying about Gaia's safety and her love for her daughter is her main priority. And Gaia is worried about the safety of their commander, which is her number one priority. And it really just shows their different approaches to viewing the situation. And it's not that I think one of them loves the other more. Like, I don't think that Gaia loves her mother less because she's more interested in saving the commander it is more a a demonstration of character and it's it's really great character work um i think that they're doing here and i know i said at the beginning of this episode that they didn't do a lot of character work and i i don't think we got a lot of character 
um, progression, but I do think we got a lot of great character insights, especially with Octavia. And I think this was one of those moments. Uh, I I just want to jump in and say that I actually do think, you know, like you're saying one character doesn't love the other more, but I do think when you're parents, oh, I should clarify. Parents intrinsically love their children more than their children could ever love them. I I think it's just different kinds of relationships. I totally agree. I just meant that Gaia, it's not that Gaia doesn't love her mother. Right. I kind of wonder if it was like between Gaia's child and um, Maddie, like who would she choose there? Right. Uh, that would be, situation. that would be interesting. Yeah. And you know, neither are wrong. Like, no, no. This is just, again, interesting character work that they're doing. And I like, <laughs> honestly, like I thought Indra promising Bellamy at the end that she would give him a quick death was honestly way fairer than he deserves. Oh, for sure. I was like, Oh, I would have effed shit up with him. Like, like this is your time, Indra. I think she has such such distance from what happened with Pike in season three. You know, that was over six years ago for yeah. her, and so much has happened. I think she's just ready to like forgive and move on. And I I I I see that, and she's a very honorable. She's so honorable, mature, wise. I don't know how I could do that, but ever. I'm saying that like boy Bellamy you lucked out that this is who you're dealing with because any other person would have been way pettier I mean when you look at I don't want to get into this too deeply but Indra is to Bellamy as um what was that guy in season three who's like used to be a mountain man and Clark killed all his people but him and then she killed him later this metaphor is being all screwed up because I can't remember his name but the the last surviving mountain man um who got away he was one of the ones that clark had taken captive in season two and then like um gave him like only enough air to like run oh yeah 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 well that guy (laughs) i feel like we kind of viewed that guy as the enemy because he was clark's enemy Mm -hmm. um but we've seen so much more from indra's side and bellamy's side that we're able to understand that there is, I mean, well, Bellamy was wrong. There is a wrong person here. Bellamy did a very bad thing. <laughs> but I feel like... Inexcusable. I feel like this kind of lends um, us to look at the mountain people and what happened with them um, a lot clearer as well. And that they weren't necessarily the villains that they, they were weren't kind of evil. made out to be. They weren't evil. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's so many parallels between one crew and the mountain men. Oh, yeah. Like, obvious parallels that we've seen throughout this entire season. And that's just another one. Yeah. I did like the little moment here when Bellamy kind of realizes that his um, plan of not fighting won't work because he can only not fight if everyone else doesn't fight. But if right. Indra comes to kill him, like Octavia won't get the chance, you know, right. to come and, and execute him. That's kind of what Octavia was saying before. It was like, they all fight in the end. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it I, just I, takes one. <laughs> it does. If one person breaks. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so they head into the arena where the mood is solemn. Octavia tells them to be the last. Immediately, Gaia goes for the spear, but Indra wrestles it away from her. And for a moment, it looks like Bellamy won't fight, but with Indra coming after him, he jumps into action. The two fight, and Indra seems to be winning, but suddenly Gaia steals the spear. As she throws it at Octavia, Bellamy pushes Gaia, so the spear ends up missing. Uh, The fight stops, and Octavia grabs the spear and throws it back to the arena, repeating that one of them needs to be the last. Um... So it's important to note coming into this scene that there isn't the cheering like there used to be before an arena fight. Agreed. Um, everyone is just like dead silent. This is not something that people are 
excited to witness. No. This is not like a normal fight. This is people that they, well, at least Bellamy and Gaia, people that they know very well and care about because they were, you know, two of the highest people in the bunker. You the mean most Indra visible. And Gaia. What did I say? Bellamy. Yes, Indra and Gaia. Um, that they now see in the arena fighting. And also it's mother and daughter and that, you know, can't it's sit sick. well with a lot of people. It no. is very sick. Also, I think the spell of the of of the of the arena yeah. has been broken like there's no going there's no putting pandora back in the box <laughs> get it i got it <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think that was only effective and and working in their self-contained world and the world has been opened up in so many new ways now that they can't look at this the same way yeah um, I did want to ask, who called for Bellamy to watch out? I have no idea. I could not figure out who it was. It had to be someone that we know because not many of them know Bellamy. Was it Miller? I was hoping it was Miller. I couldn't tell. Let's um, just give it to Miller. I, I have to hope it's Miller. Miller, he you got to have some sort of redeeming. Yeah. <laughs> I have to give him one redemption point. You get one out of 100 for this episode. <laughs> we're going to get some like people writing in about how we're awful because Miller is the best. <laughs> They're entitled to their opinion. They are entitled. I have my opinion. My opinion is he sucks. I do also agree with the <laughs> sucking part. <laughs> um, I do want to say I wish this scene with Bellamy not wanting to fight and then fighting would be a little bit different from Kane not wanting to fight and then fighting. I think there would have been a way to contrast um, these two characters and these two scenes in a way that would kind of reveal a lot about their characters or just, you know, give us something new to see. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't. And I get the whole point of like everyone fights in the arena. Mm-hmm. But I think there could have been more that they could have showed us with this scene. Yeah. I think they probably their intention was to show the similarities between Bellamy and Kane, which we've kind of gotten over the last couple of seasons. I get that. But I just don't think there's as many as people say there are. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I think it's a stretch. But I do feel like there is this sort of like connection be- that's happening with Indra and Gaia as mother and daughter. Yeah. And then Bellamy sort of um, mirroring or matching Kane's behavior and Kane is like his surrogate father. I think there are some like nice parallels there. Like the ghost of Kane is like also kind of in the arena with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it also could have been more interesting. There's a, there's a way in which this could have been more dynamic as well. Really quickly, (laughs) just wanted to mention when Gaia throws the spear at Octavia and she just like shifts over in her seat and the spear misses her which she was really a badass but it also reminded me of that scene in lord of the rings when they're trying to kill that like really ugly pink orc who has like the tumors all over his face (laughs) and he just like moves over one foot and that like giant rock just like falls right next to him (laughs) i don't know why but both times i saw this episode i was like oh it's a lord of the rings reference and i know they're fans of lord of the rings so maybe that was like a secret like wink wink I didn't actually notice Octavia shifting. I I saw her shift. She just kind of like moved her head. Like she didn't even bother to like jump back or be surprised. She just like <laughs> shifted like <laughs> so slightly. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to say I thought it was really interesting that Octavia doesn't retaliate herself um, on Gaia when she tries to kill her, but instead she adheres to Ron, Ron Cruz's tradition of the fighting pits. I mean, I feel like she's more in control than I realized. And I really appreciated that they showed that in this scene. That yeah. was like a 
a clinch point for me. In that moment, I really thought Gaia was a goner. I was I think, sure. I think I, we were supposed to think Gaia was a goner. Oh, absolutely. I was shocked that she lived to see another day. But I guess, it, I mean, it does make sense for what Octavia's ultimate goal is. You know, I don't think she, again, she doesn't want to kill any of these people in the bunker, but she's trying to get them to march, so she needs them to put on a show. No, I 100% agree with everything you just said, and I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Before the fighting can continue, Monty and Harper come into the arena. Monty's holding a tree full of apple blossoms. He reveals that they won't have to go to war because the hydro farm is working again, and Octavia knows this. And at this, one crew starts looking at Octavia with suspicion. Monty says they can go to war, but they should be given a choice. Suddenly, people start shouting about no more blood drena, and they tear down the fences surrounding the arena. Octavia tells the people to stand down, and she leaves. Everyone celebrates their victory fools fools <laughs> idiots uh this is definitely a culmination of monty's make algae not war uh personal motto <laughs> um and it almost works it really does like good good try monty it was a solid effort you get an a for effort i do like that monty found a way to help without getting anyone else killed like this is what i think they're trying to show with monty um and him being a pacifist but i feel like the way that they were making it sound was much more passive than active. Whereas this is much, this is like active pacifism. You know what I mean? No, I, <laughs> no, I completely agree. I am totally down with active pacifism. <laughs> right. I am absolutely here for a way of finding a solution without hurting anyone. Yeah. But if your solution is like to just not get involved yeah. and be Switzerland, then you are contributing to the problem. No, um, no offense against Switzerland. No, <laughs> if you're, if you're, we didn't mean that Switzerland. <laughs> I meant that in like the metaphorical yeah. sense. No, just like being the the like middle person yeah. who doesn't want to. Exactly. Um, yes, I completely <laughs> agree. <laughs> I was kind of shocked at how fast the crowd turned on Octavia. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but I, I would have thought that she had earned some loyalty cards by this point with the crowd, like. Well, we see the crowd. It's like only half of the crowd. So I'm assuming it's the half of the crowd that's already doubting her with the new commander mm -hmm. out there. Um, I think that this is very much a split uh, one crew right now. Now it's two crew. <laughs> two crew. Uh, two crew. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have the, the people who want Maddie to be the new commander. And then I think there are also still a lot of them loyal to Octavia. And perhaps for good reason. I do think that she... Helped keep them alive for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd say she'd earned some, some, some points. I thought it was interesting to see um, that Miller still looked to Octavia for directions even after the reveal. I mean, like he doesn't care that she lied. He is still a hundred percent loyal to her. So, you know, take that. Yeah, make nothing more it, to say that I haven't make already it said that there, what but. you will. <laughs> um, and one last thing I wanted to talk about is I feel like Indra and Bellamy are finally square in this scene. Like she complimented him on his fighting. And I think that's like a clear sign of like letting the water run under the bridge between them. Like all is forgiven finally. Yeah. And I feel good about moving forward with them in like a, in a free, in a conscious free kind of way. Yeah. Um, which I, I really liked that button to their arc this I season. Agree. I liked it a lot. I know Bellamy and, and Indra have had some surprisingly good material together. They have. I didn't really expect it. I so. didn't. And it's been, it's been, you know, credit where credit is due. Yeah. That was good. Bellamy says they have to find Octavia. Monty thinks that Octavia not shooting them means they won, but Indra says it only means that Octavia lost the battle, but not the war. 
Suddenly, the fire alarm goes off, and Monty realizes the hydro farm is unprotected. They all race for the farm, but when they get there, they find Octavia has burned it all. Octavia took away their choice. Now they must either stay here and die, or march with Octavia. Oh, Octavia. <laughs> you sweet poor girl. Um, I really love how Indra knows Octavia so well that she doesn't mistake her calmness um, and her exit for defeat you know it's just the opposite Indra is now even more worried than she was before because Octavia is so calm yeah um and it's scary I mean I think this is kind of the moment that we see just how far Octavia will go to get to her end goal yeah um and I honestly don't even think that Octavia is viewing what she did as harmful for her people I think she cannot imagine another ending but getting her people to this utopia right um and so for her everything that she's doing is justified because she has to deliver her people to the promised land exactly (laughs) just drive that biblical metaphor all the way home she's like basically every biblical character yes they're just like all leviticus exodus all the yeses so it's like while she's not right in any way shape or form I do understand how she got to this point. Right. But it would have been helpful if we had had some context for this. Well, I mean, I guess I understand on like a surface level, just like she's done bad things. Yeah. But I agree that there should have been a lot more bunker flashbacks before now. Right. Yeah. Um, and Octavia like is absolutely crazy here. Like I remember watching this and just thinking like, oh my God, you are off your rocker. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of, it's a scary kind of crazy because she's not rabid. Like, no, she's not mad. Um, it, she has like a really tight control over how she wants to achieve her goals. She just has a higher tolerance of suffering than yeah. anyone else does and is willing to sacrifice more than anyone else is, which makes her incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Um, and it's even worse because she does hold all of the power. I mean, she's not just willing to sacrifice, like, she's willing to sacrifice herself in the sense that, like, she doesn't care what people think of her or what really happens to her as long as she gets them yeah. where they, she's she thinks they need to She's willing to sacrifice her soul. Yeah. Her in, soul, yes. In order to deliver them. Yeah. Which, you know, that's, like, the most precious thing you have. And if you're willing to let that go, there's no hope. There's no turning back, the- as Bellamy said earlier in this episode. <sighs> it's really dark. It is dark. The show is dark. I know. <laughs> um, so, of course, we get, like, this not-so-subtle comparison um, to Cadigan burning Becca alive with Octavia burning the Hydra farm. Yeah. Um, and I also wonder if this is a foreshadowing to kind of a burning Eden at the end of this season. Uh, yeah, this is like a say, mini yeah, Eden. Yeah, a little mini Eden with a little mini apple blossoms. Right. This is a pre- we pre-Eden. Like, we have, like, a big Eden. <laughs> It's named Eden. Yes. <laughs> Again, not subtle. <laughs> Maddie and Clark are headed to Dioz's ship when they hear McCreary interrogating and killing defectors about Dioz's whereabouts. Maddie wants to save them, but Clark won't let her. As one of McCreary's men buries the bodies, Clark gets him at gunpoint, and he tells her that Abby is at the gas station turned med clinic. But before Clark can do anything, Maddie slits the man's throat. Um, so going through the scene kind of step by step, first off, 
loving again Maddie calling Bellamy out or call, like, calling Clark out about leaving Bellamy. Yes. It's just so refreshing. She will not let it go. Just keep throwing it in her face, Maddie. You you show her. <laughs> she needs she needs it. She needs it. She does. Um Second, I was a little confused about why these defectors were here because it seemed like at the end of last episode, Echo and Dioza had kind of rounded them up. I think they probably rounded most of them up, but like the best laid plans, it didn't work out exactly the way Dioza thought it would. I think some people got missed or left behind. Yeah. Okay, I can get that. Yeah. Um, And then third... I like that we see Maddie now claiming these people who she's never actually met as her people. Mm-hmm. And I do think that is a large part because of the flame. Yes. I um, think this is the first moment where I was like, okay, the flame is clearly giving her a worldview that she didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Maddie slitting the man's throat was particularly jarring So I guess kind of going back to what we were just talking about and the question that we've been asking all along is, do we think that this violence, this burst of violence from her is from the influence of the flame or is this like her old instinct kicking in from the time before she was with Clark? I think Clark thinks it's the influence from the flame and I don't think you can discount that, but I actually think it's Clark's influence. I agree. This entire season, Clark's been murdering people in front of her and being like, I had to do it. It's for the best. And, you know, kids learn from their parents. Exactly. So. Exactly. I think it's Clark, too. And I I wonder if Clark recognizes it. I or... don't think she does. But she will soon. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really liked um, Maddie is so smart. And again, she is learning from Clark and she's using... Like, the fact that, like, she brings up Abby to Clark, and I feel like that was, like, the turning point for Clark to go in mm-hmm. is because of Abby. And the the way that, like, Maddie recognized that and how it would affect Clark also reminded me of Clark. Yeah. Like, that was, like, a very Clark move to do. It's a little manipulative. But, but I in, like, think... with, like, the best intention. Yeah, I think Maddie's learned more from Clark than Clark has realized. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Clark and Maddie sneak into the med clinic and discover Abby unconscious. Maddie finds the empty pill bottle and Clark realizes with horror that her mother overdosed. So this is a horrible way for Clark to find out about her mom's addiction. Yeah. This is the worst way, actually. (laughs) Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah. Did you or were we supposed to think Abby was dead at this point? Um, I'm not sure if we were supposed to think it. I knew she wasn't because I knew she was in later episodes. Um... But I, so I, I didn't think it, but I, we might've been supposed to think it. Yeah. I felt like there was like a split second here where I was like, is she dead? <laughs> but I really, I really didn't believe it. Yeah. But there was like a split second where I thought, oh my God, is she dead? Like you never know what this show. You... I don't think they would kill a character in that way. Like a big character like that in such a, um. I don't want to say anticlimactic, but, like, where we wouldn't even see her death. Right. Well, I was going to say, like, we didn't even see her, like, take the pills. Yeah. We didn't see her die. Like, any of that. And that's what I really didn't actually think she was dead. But yeah. There was, like, a split second there where I was like, did she die? I think Clark might have thought she was yeah. dead for a second. So yeah. <laughs> that's what really matters. One crew gathers outside the bunker, clearly unsure what their next move should be. Octavia comes out and starts to march. Miller tells everyone that they have enough rations for everyone to make it to the valley, and the faithful start to march because they know their commander is out there unprotected. 
Bellamy tells Monty that their family is waiting, and at that, they head off after Octavia. Um, to start off this scene, I really wanted to talk about Indra and how she actually seems at peace with this march. I think for her, at least this has the potential to end with an honorable death, a warrior's death, instead of the horrific fighting pits where there was no honor in killing and where she would have been forced to kill her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I mean, I feel like this is where Indra is comfortable, like marching into battle with, you know, even if she's not doesn't agree with the war, like this is where she is most comfortable. Talk about uh, Lord of the Rings references. This actually reminded me a lot of Lord of the Rings and many battle scenes where people have kind of come to terms with the fact that they're probably going to die and they're like, okay, let's just, let's do it. Like this is how it's going to end. Yep. <laughs> and it seems like Indra is very much at that mind yeah. state. She's like almost ready. Yeah. She's ready for it to be over. Um, and also we see a little dad Bellamy again. You know, he's just like asking his little ducklings to follow him. Monty and Harper are just like, what? I thought I was going to stay in the bunker. <laughs> he's like, nope, pack your bags. Got to go. Well, they didn't really think they were going to stay there. There was, They couldn't stay there. No, I mean before. Oh, yeah. It before too the bad, fire. guys. Yeah. You could be Adam and Eve, but. Nope. Not anymore. Um, another technical question is, how did they manage to have enough food for everyone after Octavia burned the entire farm? I think maybe they had already had rations set aside. Oh, really? You think so? I guess yeah. that would make sense if they wanted to march on a. Oh, that's true. Because they were going yeah, to march like the march next day. Anyway. But Octavia. Like and- the farm wasn't producing anything anyway. Monty like grew all of that on his own. Like, that That's was, like, true. all extra food. That's he was true. like, look what I've made. And she's like, nah. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you thought. <laughs> you thought wrong. Um, um, Octavia also, she, like, marches out with this completely blank look on her face. But there's, like, a little bit underneath that I think Marie did so well that's, like, she, you can tell she's pretending not to care about the horrible things that she's done and the way that people are now looking at her. Um, she's kind of forcing herself to be Bloodrena, mm-hmm. even though there's like a part of her in her, a part of her deep inside that still is Octavian. Absolutely. Who is horrified by there, it. There is this like tiny, almost like a hesitation in her stride. It's almost like a, like a, she's like dragging herself, but with like her head held up high mm-hmm. um, that Marie does really well. And, you know, as crazy as Octavia is, She's got style, and she looks like a total badass as she's marching forward. With her own blood on her face. Oh, my God. She looked like a badass. I mean, that whole final shot of them kind of walking out into this open wasteland, and it's like a, a shot from really high up. So yeah, you it was can an see aerial like the, whole, view. the whole line of people, and then where they're marching toward, and it's it was really great. It was and really I like well seeing the numbers. Like, I, I have a really yeah. hard time visualizing, imagining or wrapping my head around how many people are in one crew because mm-hmm. like it's really tight quarters and you can never see everyone at the same time so I really liked that aerial view where you get to see like the air the entire army moving forward and what their population actually looks like yeah that was really nice okay. I really liked it what an episode let's get into some of these discussion points uh, I want to talk about the title a little bit, um, which is like our new section. So as a reminder, the title is Warriors Will. Um, and there are a couple ways that we can interpret this. I think the, the first one and the most obvious one is the Warriors Will is referenced um, in this episode in a way that obviously pertains to Octavia and her refusal to take Monty up on his farm idea and just... <laughs> her way is the highway it's the warrior's way 
the way is war, mm-hmm. thus the warriors will. And that's like a pretty easy interpretation. But I also think we can talk about this a little bit and how it applies to Indra and Bellamy and Gaia as warriors in the fighting pit and each of their different approaches or their wills in how they want to fight or not fight. And I think watching this sort of like trio of humans either embrace or hesitate or refuse to fight is a really interesting metaphor for how this show operates and all of the different pieces in way and all the way these different characters interact with each other especially when you think about like what Monty wants to do versus like what Octavia wants to do and like Clark and now Maddie and all of these different characters who at different points have exhibited either a hesitancy or a resistance to fighting and who are now either embracing it or have reversed that position which I think is really interesting yeah kind of jumping in um on Maddie right there I think the warriors well could also apply to her in this episode about you know being so um confident that keeping the flame is the right decision and she needs to do this and like there's nothing Clark can do to change her mind um Mm -hmm. she has you know fully become or is fully becoming the commander that the flame promises her to be. Yeah, agreed. So let's talk about favorite lines. Alrighty. What was your favorite line? My favorite line was, you can't save someone who's already dead, because I think that just gives us a lot of insight into how Octavia views herself. Yeah. Um, or even how she views herself subconsciously, maybe not, you know, on the surface. Um, but I, I just really liked that line even though it was kind of a Taylor Swift knockoff and I can't take it quite seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, My favorite line was um, when Indra said, she lost the battle, but not the war. I just love the way this show shows um, how well Indra knows and understands Octavia. I love their relationship. I'm obsessed with Indra right now. And I, I really liked how Indra was not deceived for one millisecond about what was going on here. Agreed. What was your favorite scene? Um, My favorite scene was overwhelmingly Octavia cutting her arm and rubbing the blood on her face because the most interesting part of this episode to me was Octavia versus Bloodrena. And that scene really perfectly encapsulated that internal struggle. Yeah, I really loved the way that you talked about that. I didn't think about it as like deeply as you did. And now I'm like obsessed with what you said. (laughs) And I have to go back and think about it much harder. Um, But my favorite scene was the scene between Indra and Octavia's scene, which is not surprising because I've sound like a broken record and I love them. Well, they're so good together. They are so good together. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying in that I like the scenes in which Octavia is emotional Mm -hmm. and the the scenes in which Indra is emotional and they're only really ever vulnerable with each other. Yeah. Um, So those are always the most compelling scenes to me. And I just, I was really really moved by it um I I loved it agreed so the next episode is 511 titled the dark year in this episode Clark races to save Abby and in doing so learns more about the trials and tribulations one crew faced in the bunker and the impossible decisions they were forced to make in the dark year um we're still behind as you know is clear but we are going to do our absolute best to have the next two episodes posted by Sunday. No promises, but that is our goal. Cross your fingers that this throat situation is because of my screaming and not because I'm getting a cold. Cross your fingers that Britt doesn't get pneumonia for the third time this year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I've already had it twice. Uh, I am not a healthy bee. I would die in the hundred. You would. (laughs) Immediately. You wouldn't have even made it onto the Ark. You would you would have died with like the rest of humanity. <laughs> no, I would have gone down to the Ark, but then I would have gotten like some weird space illness and <laughs> Abby would have been like, I don't know what this is. And I would have died like the next day. 
All right. That's our show. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. That's skycast. And you can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. Thanks for joining us again on Skycast. We should have the next episode up very, very soon. Very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.